Welcome to The Appetite, a podcast about food, body, movement, and mental health. We are clinicians from Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm Carter Umhow, a therapist at Opal, an artist, and a writer. Today, I'm going to be joined by one of Opal's founders, nutrition director Julie Church. We'll be talking with Aaron Harrop as our first interviewed guest. Erin is a third-year doctoral student at the University of Washington School of Social Work. Her research concerns the intersection of eating disorders and weight stigma. She employs a critical feminist, anti-oppression, and health-at-every-size approach to her work. Her research is informed by her clinical experience as a social worker at Seattle Children's Hospital. She is presently preparing for her qualifying paper, which examines the experiences of women with atypical anorexia. So we're talking with Erin Harrop today. Erin, um, can you let us know a little bit about kind of what your work is all about? Yeah. So I'm a third-year doc student at the University of Washington School of Social Work, and there I study eating disorders and kind of the intersection of weight stigma. So specifically, I'm interested in how societal systems of weight oppression and the other oppression systems like race, class, um, ethnicity, mm-hmm. gender, sexual orientation, how those overlap and influence people who have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm particularly interested in higher weight women who uh, struggle with eating disorders. And um, my research is around that. And I also do a bunch of advocacy work um, kind of in the body image, body acceptance, body neutrality mm-hmm. scheme of the world, depending on where you locate yourself in that. Mm-hmm. The um, I know we're probably going to hear more of the academic research side throughout our time too, but I what, I know a little bit about the some of the advocacy work, and I yeah share a little bit about what especially about the is it swag? It is swag. Yeah, yeah I love swag. that name. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yes, you know it, it started out as SAG. Um, <laughs> not so good. Not so good. Yeah, I was I, you know, and I, today I would love to like claim it yeah. and be like SAG. yes, SAG. Yes, um, yes, that's but, true. Um, yeah, SWAG stands for the Sizeism Weightism Advocacy Group, and okay. we're a community and student group at the School of Social Work. And our kind of the heart of our group is to try and address issues of size stigma and eating disorders within our community. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in social justice communities, we think about a lot of different types of oppression, but we don't necessarily think about Mm. um, the embodied experience of being at different weights and how that influences um, daily experiences of discrimination mm-hmm. and um, and privilege too. Especially, mm-hmm. we especially don't notice how it influences the privileges that we have. Mm-hmm. So our group tries to kind of tackle those issues. Um, we do things related to body image. We do things related to eating disorder prevention, and we also try to do education around weight stigma. So mm-hmm. sometimes that looks more like educating folks. Um, We've found that even within communities that are focused on social justice, there's not a lot of literacy around food and eating issues and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of that kind of basic education type thing. Um, mm-hmm. We also do fun things. We do art experiments with our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We we did a no pants light rail ride just oh, for cool. exposure <laughs> um, purposes. Um, so we kind of you know sometimes bring in mm. humor. Um, <laughs> I love that. We've done you know burlesque shows and mm. um, documentaries, and essentially I look at it as a place to experiment with folks who are also interested in trying to get a different perspective on our bodies and how we occupy them in the world mm -hmm. and relate to them so mm -hmm. um none of us are experts none of us have this like body image or body acceptance relationship down pat but we're all in a place of wanting to engage with it more intentionally and see what happens and how mm -hmm. that perspective might shift a little bit hmm. i love that that's in the social work like a lot of those people that you're doing this with are social work students, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, graduate level or PhD level. I just love that because I mm -hmm. think that you're bringing that in already. They probably are oriented to desiring that, but then just haven't been opened up to the possibility that this is a different way of another place of oppression or mm -hmm. another place. So it's cool. Yeah. So a few weeks back, we talked about health at every size mm -hmm. as a movement. Um, and one of the things I was really struck by was that to think about that movement and its place in kind of the conversation around bodies mm. um, means that you're flipping a lot of assumptions on their head just mm -hmm. as a ground groundwork is being laid. Assumptions are being flipped. Um, so when you're talking about kind of doing this, this different kind of exposure art even <laughs> um, or advocacy work, what are the assumptions that you feel like you're, mm. you're breaking open? Mm. So many. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, I I think in the beginning, there's a lot of assumptions about um, health, what it means to be healthy, what it means to, and whether or not even we should or have a responsibility to be healthy. Mm. Um, mm. So I, I think it's pretty commonly accepted, at least in this culture, in this time, that uh, health means presenting in a certain type of body, mm -hmm. you know, a certain type of like muscular, athletic, toned, um, mm -hmm. toned, but not too toned and like thin, <laughs> but not too thin um, kind yeah. of presentation. And, you know, we have these guidelines that are set forth for us in terms of our body weight and our BMI that let us know, OK, this is this is what health is and this is the type of body I should have. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of the advocacy work that we do kind of questions some of those assumptions and also questions um, the ethics of kind of prescribing a certain type of body type and a certain type of body um, and then um, and prescribing behaviors to get that type of body. So a lot of our work in advocacy mm -hmm. has to do with um, a, where does this preference for a certain body type come from and a certain body size come from? Um, mm. Does it come, you know, what type of system is supported by mm -hmm. by that? Um, uh, who benefits from that? Mm -hmm. And who benefits most from that? Because I think a lot of these ex expectations that we have benefit certain groups way more than others. Mm. Um, and then uh, thinking about how ethical is it to kind of continue to promote this certain perspective that's centered on weight um, mm -hmm. at the expense of other things. And I think one of the other things that we're trying to kind of flip on the head is this like responsibility to 
not just thinness, but also to health. I think, yeah. um, you know, the health at every size community for a long time has kind of struggled with this idea that we want to shift the, the focus from weight to something. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe in the beginning we thought health, yeah, that's what we want to go for because mm-hmm. everybody can get on board with that. Um, and then the, it sometimes health and like ability isn't necessarily a choice that folks have. Like Absolutely. it's one of those things that ebbs and flows for all of us within our lifetime. We have periods when we're never sick and periods when we're chronically ill. We have periods where we can like be that amazing athlete that we want to be and we're like crushing it on the volleyball court or something. (laughs) And then we have other times where we have a back injury and we can't move. And so this idea that like this kind of ultimate athleticism or wellness or healthiness is not only an option, but also a responsibility. Mm -hmm. A moral responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. It can be super problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it, you know, I'm always asking like, who does it exclude and, and who's left out and um, mm. whose experience is are we saying is wrong? Um, mm-hmm. So I think some of those mm. um, assumptions are things that we're kind of questioning and pushing back on a little yeah. bit. I want to like write those questions down. I know. I love Wait, that. what did you just say? <laughs> well, I wanted Wait. to just ask you that question yeah. that oh, you okay. just posed yourself. <clears throat> and, like yeah. whose experiences are being excluded? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is getting forgotten about mm-hmm. in this this kind of mainstream paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was I was thinking about this on my way in mm-hmm. um, because even in that question of who's being left out, we still mm-hmm. often see it centered around like thin, pretty women right. who, kind of, who right. show up kind of in that margin, speaking for that marginalized voice. So mm-hmm. like, I just saw a Facebook video of like mm-hmm. a really pretty thin woman who had a back injury and so you know she her hair had gotten messed up and they did this beautiful transformation for her with this haircut and um you know she went from like thin beautiful woman with messy hair to like thin beautiful woman with beautiful hair um and and there was this kind I was thinking about it as I was watching it Mm -hmm. I was like okay this is acceptable for Mm -hmm. this woman to be bedridden and to not take care of herself partly because of her privilege Mm -hmm. and how would this be if this was like an older fat woman, mm-hmm. you know, who was disabled and unable to take care of herself, what kind of assumptions would be mm-hmm. put in there? And like, mm-hmm. how much would this hairdresser be reacting with like disgust as opposed to, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to get you through this, honey. <laughs> um, right. uh-huh. And so I, I do think, you know, for sure there are f- folks with chronic illnesses that we don't see that Mm. get left out. Um, I think when we talk about body positivity and acceptance, um, there's um, cultures and, um, you know, people of color are not represented a lot in our, Mm -hmm. in our white movement, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like we have, um, and I don't want to ignore the fact that there are a lot of advocates that are people of color that are doing great work, but it's not being centered in our, Hmm. In the movement. In, in, in the movement, or, or at least in, in this one, the one that I see as a white woman. Oh, okay. So um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of work out there that's being done, and it's by um, folks that I don't have as much contact with mm-hmm. in my mm. white world. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you know, and I think also like we we see folks with disabilities left out, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and of of course people of size, mm -hmm. um, and actually I don't even really like that term a ton because we all have size. Yes. <laughs> um, I think what we're trying to say is mm -hmm. is fat people, um, and I'm kind of saying that from the fat liberation mm -hmm. meaning of the word. Um, I sometimes tiptoe around that word with certain audiences just because people get afraid when I say fat people or mm -hmm. um but but that's what I'm talking about yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah and can you say a little bit more about kind of the liberation of that word yeah. in this context I'm familiar with that but yeah. I, I wonder if everyone would be because yeah, it is such a I mean you say it and there's like a it comes with kind of an energy around it I think when that word is often in a room so yeah. can you lay that out a little bit yeah, I think we, I mean, we call it the F word a lot in <laughs> yeah. eating disorder treatment yeah. circles. And that's, that speaks volumes, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, that this word is something that has been so pathologized that we equate it with cursing. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. And so, yeah, the, the fat liberation movement, there's a movement to reclaim this word fat. Um, we see similar things in terms of other places, like, for instance, um, in the queer movement, queer used to be used as a as a slur. Um, mm -hmm. And in, you know, working with language and we talk about, like, reclaiming the tools of the oppressor mm -hmm. um, in feminist studies, um, mm -hmm. particularly in um, feminist studies from um, people of color, we see this movement to try and reclaim language that has been used against a group of people mm -hmm. um, when there's something redeeming about it. Um, mm -hmm. Now, fat as a term is a it's a descriptive term. Um, right. It means that there's more of something. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm -hmm. it, so I, I think in terms of fat people using fat as a positive or neutral or descriptive term, that's mm -hmm. that's the way that I'm using it mm -hmm. um, in kind of that reclaiming way mm -hmm. um, there are other terms that we don't necessarily reclaim mm -hmm. you know that have caused like so much harm or um, been used in such a detrimental way that a lot of advocates say no there there is there is no reclamation of that term and so terms mm -hmm. like that are things like obesity like that's mm -hmm. a term at least that I've heard tossed around is like that we're not we're mm -hmm. not reclaiming that word that has caused too many too much harm. Um, so I think, yeah, this idea of like what language we use, how we use it um, mm -hmm. is is a challenge. And like, who do you use it with? Yeah. Right? Um, when is it appropriate to use it? Mm -hmm. Is it appropriate for me to describe myself as a fat woman, mm -hmm. depending on like how I'm perceived and like who's around me? Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, like watching my thin peers like react to that <laughs> um it can be mm -hmm. you know a challenge because fat is a word that most people are uncomfortable with and people will say anything to avoid acknowledging mm -hmm. acknowledging it they'll mm -hmm. say fluffy and chunky and heavy curvy and curvy and, yeah. and these are all euphemisms to get around fat saying mm this person has a larger body than somebody else. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that idea being, um, it's pointing to morality, mm -hmm. I would say, right? Mm -hmm. That yeah. if there's fatness, 
and there's squirmishness around that word, there's an assumption that it's a bad thing. Yeah. Where instead of like everyone has some degree of fat on their bodies mm-hmm. and so it's a thing. Yeah. And it is part of the body. Yeah. Um, and would be more neutral. Hmm. Yeah. And even more than just fat that we have on our bodies, um, which is kind of a like reclaiming that is for sure something, especially in eating disorder treatment, we mm-hmm. talk about like you're not fat, you have fat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think even to push back on that a little bit and mm-hmm. say, um, yes, we all have fat and some of us are also fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being willing to, because still in that, the way that we talk about that, then like, you're not fat, don't worry. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Minimizing. goodness. So I'm not trying to say something's terrible mm-hmm. with you. I'm just trying to say that you have some fat on you, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like we can also push back and say, yeah, okay. Everybody's got something on them, and <laughs> some people have more. some of us have more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is a good time to go there, but go I'm there. so curious. <laughs> I'm because, um, gosh, okay. So, Aaron, I know that you've been a part of some of those kinds of discussions around some people using the word "fat" about them their own selves, and this is in a professional context. So, in the eating mm-hmm. disorder treatment world, at some national conferences and like bigger places where there's a lot of people serving, uh, learning to be, you know, and and growing to be better um, providers Mm -hmm. and treatment providers for those with eating disorders. And so I know that you've been a part of some of that. And I wonder if there's anything else to add to it on that layer, because I know from my standpoint, Mm -hmm. what I've what I um, have grown in awareness, right, is that uh, eating disorder professionals in the eating disorder world is absolutely not immune Mm -hmm. to having the weight stigma and the size discrimination that is in this world. And even when we opened Opal and we founded it on Health at Every Size and we were putting that as a stake in the ground, like it's kind of this, like we say that to some people in the world and then they look at us like, well, duh, of course you are. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, 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 that actually within the eating disorder world that this isn't commonplace. Um, and that's sometimes surprising to people. So I guess it, back to kind of like in the eating disorder world, I know that this exact thing that you're talking about, like people claiming the word fat and using that even in a professional context with colleagues of different body sizes Mm -hmm. is happening right now (laughs) Um, among um, the industry and in the in the eating disorder field. So I don't know if there's something you could give us to help us understand that or if there's anything else that adds to understanding about what's going on and maybe where that's going to take. I would say eating disorder treatment, but then like even maybe society, maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is it a starting point? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it it's really sticky when we start using some of these controversial terms. Okay. Yes. And not everybody's on the same page about how we're using them. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And so. Fat being one of the, the thing you're saying. Is yeah. Like that's yeah. the controversial term or the yeah. word fat is like the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I I know that in some circles, um, some folks who are coming from that fat liberation standpoint identify themselves as fat and they, you know, they might introduce themselves as, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a fat cis woman. Um, And some, sometimes people who are less familiar with that react to that and they, they want to say like, oh, don't call yourself that. Mm -hmm. And, um. When we find ourselves asking that, I'm like, what is it Mm. about me calling myself fat that you're reacting to Mm -hmm. that you don't want me to call myself fat? Mm -hmm. Because what that says to me is that there's a there's a judgment that you have about fatness that Mm. 
that it's not good and I shouldn't call myself something that's not good. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think especially for thin providers, it can be a challenge to hear people identify themselves as fat and to kind of own it. Um, and we might have this pushback and say, oh, oh, oh don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really what we're saying is there like, I'm afraid for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Or like, I have a problem with this word or I don't want you mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. down about yourself. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm not talking down about myself by calling yeah. myself fat. Maybe right. I'm using it descriptively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think especially for folks with thin privilege, mm-hmm. um, if you're uncomfortable with the word, um, <laughs> explore it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Talk to people who use it and ask them why. Mm-hmm. You know, um, find out why is that the word of all the words that you could use to describe your body. Why is that the one that you're choosing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another one of the things that comes up, and I actually haven't had a lot of conversations about this because this is a really mm-hmm. hard thing to talk to people about, mm-hmm. is like, like when are you fat enough to yeah, call yourself fat? Totally. I yeah. That's I. I'm glad you're saying that because I think it's hard. Like right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, what What is it in relation to what? Exactly. What is that? What well, I don't. Because mm-hmm. this is all kind of a. We're talking about like yeah. terms that are all yeah. kind of by comparison, right? Yeah. Like right. my body is larger in comparison to this, or yeah. according to BMI charts, which are somewhat arbitrary and change occasionally, then I'm this, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, you know, if I had a yeah. BMI of 25 and, like, went to bed, then, you know, the night before yeah, in the, the BMI yeah. shift, you yeah. know, and, like, all of a sudden, like, I'm overweight in the morning, like, now now can I call myself fat? Like, there's all yeah. these – it's a, kind of an arbitrary thing in some ways um it's arbitrary and i and i feel like it could get really complicated and maybe i'm saying this surrounded by people with eating disorders as a clinician Uh but i feel a little bit worried sometimes that anyone would claim that when actually they don't have a a a healthy view of kind of where their body is because of their challenges with their body image yeah and then use it not in a way that is neutral or descriptive Mm -hmm. um Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, and I think I think in the in the fat liberation world, like this has been a conversation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We talk about small fats and super fats, and we talk about the spectrum of of fatness. And you know, I think in fat liberation, I'm always a little bit worried when it's small fat people mm-hmm. that are do that are whose voices are centered, whose okay. voices are heard the most. When we're not hearing from other fat folks mm-hmm. in larger bodies Mm -hmm. um i think we run the same risk of centering Mm -hmm. privilege in -hmm. conversations where we're deliberately trying to hear from other voices and Mm -hmm. from marginalized voices Mm -hmm. um in terms of the eating disorder world um yes we you know in working with eating disorder clients we hear that fat word all the time Mm -hmm. i feel fat i am fat i'm afraid i'll get fat Mm -hmm. we hear this this fear fat language. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as clinicians being able to let our eating disorder folks explore what fat liberation is, um, I, I think that's a great start. Yeah. Um, and I think if one of your clients starts using that term to identify, um, I would honestly, I'd go with it. Mm. Um, I, I do think that fat identity is something that we kind of find or come to or discover. Um, and I think it would take a lot for an anorexic or I, I don't like to say anorexic, but a person with anorexia mm-hmm. to 
come out as fat mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. if they weren't fat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. right. So I, mm-hmm. I do think that um, mm-hmm. maybe in the beginning, you know, and it could be too that this is a person who had a higher body weight prior to their eating disorder and they just know this is where my body's going to go mm-hmm. if I do mm-hmm. refeeding. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I was, I looked like this before I stopped starving myself and mm-hmm. that's probably where I'm headed. So it could be that maybe mm-hmm. they're in a more like ambiguous body weight category mm-hmm. right now. And so as a provider, you might be uncomfortable hmm. labeling that. But I think yeah. um, as with any kind of identity, when a person starts to claim that identity, mm-hmm. especially if it's um, something that's that's empowering, I think mm-hmm. it's um, at least worth exploring and Absolutely. seeing why are you using mm-hmm. this term? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the context of yeah treatment. Even today, I was supporting somebody that was really affected by something in Body Image Group. Were you in Body Image Group no. today, Carter? Okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> I wasn't there either, but I just heard about it. But anyway, but just one gal reacting to what somebody in a smaller size body stated about. Oh, well, I'm just going to be fat and lazy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm just something something like that. So putting mm-hmm. the stereotype with the size, using the word like right, like really derogatory. And then the the woman that was in a larger size body feeling just so reactive to that. Mm-hmm. And then and my like coaching and support in her panic was mm-hmm. you're here, you're in a place you can discuss that, like be like facing it and kind of and discussing it in community, right? Mm-hmm. Versus just the individual, even like individual client and provider relationship. But what happens in a milieu when mm-hmm. these things are like being brought up or being said, then I was feeling like, oh, this woman, like she's maybe on the cusp of of potentially claiming something for herself, mm-hmm. right? And like identifying and going, this is who I am. And wait a minute, like j- working to figure out, well, wait, why is this person mm-hmm. creating or uh, stating a lot of fear of fatness when in comparison, she was doing that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, that, wait, she's smaller than I am. So how can she say that? And what is she saying about me? And like that mm-hmm. whole thing. Right. Um, so I just, I think the richness of, I feel, I feel like, our, you know, Opal is a safe place that people can have those conversations mm-hmm. and like do that interpersonally mm-hmm. um, in a treatment environment, which I find, I think that's just a really a, a gift mm-hmm. to be able to do the work um, and be interacting with people of different sizes. And then, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. like you're saying, like coming out with that word or naming that claim. I've never thought about that way, honestly. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think it's neat to think about. Yeah. Two things with that. First of all, like coming out of fat is totally a thing. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, it's something that mm. um, fat folks think about. Um, and if you, th- you know, even fat folks who have been fat all their lives, treated as fat their whole lives, um, mm. there's this dissonance and this yes. reaction towards claiming this because mm. it, it is intentionally and deliberately like accepting you know, a very stigmatized mm-hmm. identity mm-hmm. Um, and something that most people don't accept as a part of a person's identity. Most part people view as like a choice or um, the result of being lazy or having certain eating behaviors mm-hmm. or um, never moving, mm-hmm. like all these mm-hmm. stereotypes that we have. So I think that recognizing that, A, it's a process. It's not like I went to bed and I woke up one morning and realized I was fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also that that there is this, like, coming to terms with, like, okay, I'm going to face this very scary thing about myself. And potentially for someone with an eating disorder, that could be their greatest fear, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
their mm-hmm. greatest fear could be realized. Mm-hmm. The, you know, this thing that we've been coaching them to like mm-hmm. not fear might actually be true. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so I, I think looking at what that process of coming out and accepting is like is is important and that it's not necessarily that coming out process might not be met with acceptance from people in their community it, mm-hmm. it could be something that people push back on and and really aren't okay with their mm-hmm. new lifestyle choice <laughs> uh, right <laughs> like I mean we I hear this okay. all the time um yeah. and I, I think in the context of a, a treatment environment too I think as providers we have a really neat opportunity in situations like that where um, clients kind of go back and forth about, um, well, I'm feeling stigmatized because my body is bigger than hers. And mm-hmm. she said this thing. Um, I think sometimes as providers, we put it back on the clients and we say, Hey, this will be a great interpersonal conflict mm-hmm. opportunity for you to learn mm-hmm. about and recognize. And I, I think sometimes part of our anti-oppression ally work can be to step in, in those situations mm-hmm. and do some education about, Weight stigma. What just happened? Yeah. Like, what was at play here? Why does this person think this or feel that? Exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what is what is motivating this fear of fatness? And mm-hmm. what is, you know, how does, you know, my own discomfort and my own fears about my body, how does that heap oppression onto somebody else? Mm-hmm. You know, we think it's all about us and what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is that, like, the body hatred that I harbor for myself like is mirrored to other people mm-hmm. who have bodies right. that look like mine. Yeah. And yeah. so how much I give voice to that or credibility to that, um, it, it makes a statement. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. or not we are intentional or we think that about others, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. Right. part of it. Yeah, and that You're, happens in social situations too, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Not just in treatment environments, yeah. right? How just Anywhere. two human beings might interact about their size and what they might mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. You're objectifying yourself. You're objectifying someone else inherently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I wanted to shift the the conversation the conversation, excuse me, just slightly to kind of what how all of this plays out mm-hmm. in an eating disorder setting. Mm-hmm. Um we were just getting into that a mm-hmm. little bit, but mm-hmm. um for those that don't really know a ton about kind of eating disorder treatment, mm-hmm. Julie, you said earlier that people would be surprised that mm-hmm. there would be this groundbreaking thing to do eating disorder treatment from a health at every mm-hmm. size. Um point of view but are there things that get assumed as well around how I mean someone's behaviors um based off of their body size mm-hmm. kind of how they're treated within mm-hmm. treatment yeah um, diagnosis in that way. exactly that is kind of centered around this these assumptions and these stigmas mm. Yes. Yeah, Todd, or <laughs> yes. Should I? Where shall we start? I don't know. I know yeah, no, lot, I huh? want to hear Aaron's thoughts on it. What? Where would you? What would you want to? Hmm. Well, you know, in the eating disorder field, we're not immune, mm-hmm. um, and our, I mean, our DSM is even written in a way with kind of a hierarchy of diagnoses and how mm-hmm. we screen, um, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you know, when a person presents with a body weight that's low, we we do a certain screening. When a person pre- presents with a body weight that's higher, we might not ask them the questions about mm-hmm. self-starvation or purging um, mm. that we might for a thinner person. So I think kind of right off the bat, depending on the philosophy that you fi- 
follow in terms of diagnosis and assessment. Um, mm. We have groups of folks that their symptoms might be entirely missed because of mm. how, like, the common practice in terms of our diagnosing. Mm -hmm. I see that over and over in research where there are, like, cutoffs for just being considered to be included in a study. And so, mm. like, by definition, we're excluding some folks from even consideration for having mm. an illness because their body weight is above a certain point or below. We might see that in binge eating disorder studies where people with underweight or normal BMIs like might be excluded from that particular study like they're mm -hmm. you know and so then it that's skewing paints, the whole thing yeah it paints right. a picture that like mm -hmm. everyone with binge eating disorder has this mm -hmm. one body type when that's it's not, not the, the case. case it occurs right. throughout the weight spectrum mm -hmm. and similarly we might see studies on restriction you know um over exercise or something where they you know don't accept anybody with a body weight um or a bmi like yeah. above a 20 which mm. paints this picture that everybody with restricting disorders mm -hmm. um from the from the research side yeah. presents in this certain way yeah. um and i then, know you're really passionate about that so like, yeah oh, i want to hear more about that but okay similarly yes. like we also see that in recovery studies where they might say they might define recovery by having a bmi oh. between 18.5 and 24 and everyone else is, you know, they don't mm. meet inclusion criteria. So then that means wow. that we're only seeing a really hmm. narrow, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> a narrow picture yeah. of what recovery from an eating disorder could look like. We're seeing yeah. essentially what it means to recover from an eating disorder into a body that's socially acceptable. Yeah, mm. And so... Um, mm. Yeah, I, th I think just, yeah, in terms of screening... Mm -hmm. diagnosis it, it okay. comes in I can't remember the initial question that was based I mean it was an entry into, <laughs> into some large things um, but I feel like that's that answers it for sure um, I think I was also wondering about kind of how maybe within a treatment setting people would get treated differently um, or mm -hmm. yeah I guess about Yes. How would people get treated differently? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm imagining, like you said, that that's so much of the screening process, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, you know, to speak from a more personal point. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I have experience as a person who presented with what we call typical anorexia, which would be, mm -hmm. you know, a BMI that's underweight, um, and then also presenting like years later with atypical anorexia where my BMI um, was in an overweight category. Um, you know, for myself, I know that my behaviors were exactly the same. Mm -hmm. You know, I was restricting food. I was throwing up. <laughs> um, the Actually, the only thing that was different is that when I was underweight, I also had mm -hmm. substance use tacked onto it. Mm -hmm. um, and then mm -hmm. later I did not. And so in terms of behaviors from the inside of that diagnosis, like I wanted help for the same things. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I I think about this question a lot, like how does it impact us if we, if for a thin person or a higher weight person, because I went through treatment in two different inpatient centers. It was kind of like my own little, you know, <laughs> N of one experience, yes. <laughs> experiment, like kind of compare them. And the treatment was radically different. Mm. Um, you know, when I, presented for treatment as a thin woman, nobody questioned my diagnosis. The only thing that I got from peers was like, 
because I wasn't as emaciated as some of my peers, it was the whole like, well, do you have anorexia or do you have bulimia? It was kind of this like, mm. like, are you thin enough to be anorexic? You know, mm. it was that those kind of questions. Um, as a higher weight anorexic patient, when I presented for treatment, my therapist asked me why I was even in treatment Wow! when I was in an inpatient 24-7 hospitalization setting with, you know, medical mm -hmm. complications, yeah. which is why I was in an inpatient setting, you know. Um, and in that, in that setting, like I had a therapist that, you know, not to harp on this poor therapist, <laughs> you know, but she, she said, oh, you know, I, I think your real problem is substance abuse. You know, I don't think you, that you really need help for an eating disorder. I think you need help for a substance abuse. And at that point I've been clean for four years. So, wow. you know, the, the willingness to kind of mm. overlook yeah. like, no, like, I'm here because I can't feed myself. Like, right, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not lying. I didn't mm -hmm. think that inpatient was like such an amazing experience <laughs> that I really wanted no. to come back here and be strip searched and yeah. monitored in the bathroom. Like, you know, um, this wasn't more Ugh. like summer camp, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, in terms of the legitimacy with which you're treated by providers mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. is a huge mm -hmm. difference. Um, mm -hmm. And then, I mean, even things like you know, then what, what a meal plan looks like, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. my meal plan when I was treated as an underweight person was what you might expect for someone going through refeeding. Um, and as a higher weight person, they put me on a restricted weight loss, um, meal plan, even mm -hmm. though I was doing refeeding. So I ended up discharging from a higher level of care and having to do refeeding from my inpatient meal plan, which, um, that's a challenge, yeah, you know, um, it's a serious challenge. so that, you know, I think these, you know, or like, you know, when I was presenting as thin, I was restricted from exercise for mm. until like I was orthostatically stable and things mm -hmm. like that. And then as a higher weight, um, patient, I was prescribed exercise and, um, as like a, a, a part of my treatment, even though compulsive exercise was a part of my disorder. So I, I think, thinking really critically about like we want to treat the behaviors and the um you know the the depression the anxiety mm -hmm. like we and we want to treat it well regardless of how a person presents mm -hmm. um I, yeah so mm -hmm. i i do think it can be really different treatment yeah oh my gosh that makes me sick mm -hmm. hearing about the difference that you would be prescribed some of the behaviors essentially that you're trying to heal from yeah yeah, yeah. which is just making me sick mm -hmm. thinking about that yeah mm -hmm. and then that offers just more and more legitimacy to that voice that says yeah. you know your body is unacceptable and it does mm -hmm. need to change and you know yes. like i mean it mm -hmm. it strengthens and i think for fatter people that present with eating disorders, this is a challenge because they mm -hmm. go to doctors and they're congratulated on weight loss potentially in the beginning um, or maybe entirely, you know, right. they could never be, get seen as any, an issue. Exactly. Right. Like it's something to be celebrated as, whereas, you know, for me, I, you know, I always look at weight loss because it normally doesn't happen unless we're doing something. I always look at weight loss with like a mm. little bit of suspicion, like, mm. okay, like, What's not right? It's not like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Tell me about it. It's like, hmm, 
<laughs> you know, usually weight loss happens when like there's there's Something a major happens. shift. There's like, there's a change. Mm. There's a shift in behaviors or an illness, and so like right. being curious about that as opposed to automatically congratulating mm-hmm. because our bodies are working incredibly hard to keep us stable yeah and safe and yeah. so if our body has not done that by losing weight mm-hmm. then something's happening mm-hmm. something could be off mm-hmm. yeah and maybe not maybe not sure but right. maybe more times than not right mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so in what you were just saying um kind of what it what it might feel like for someone in a fat body to be, you know, told and battling in treatment that they should be um, losing weight, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about kind of the internalized oppression that you have to be fighting against actively as you're fighting for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm thinking, too, around um, internalized oppression around race as well mm-hmm. and how all of this gets thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you are part of the... Um, you might need to help me with the oh, language yeah. around this, but with ASDA, mm. you're working um, on the inclusivity committee. Is that right? Is yeah, that the right way to put it? It's not the best name, but <laughs> it's what we got. What is, what's that all about? What is ASDA, first of all, and what does that all mean? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> what would you rename it if you could? <laughs> I, I have thought so much about that. Um, ASDA is our Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, and they're the organization that has trademarked this um, health at every size name. And they're a group that specifically fights for um, justice, not just in social justice, not just in terms of weight discrimination, but um, we're in the process of trying to take what we call a more intersectional approach Mm -hmm. to um, looking at weight stigma. Um, And for those of you who are not familiar with that term, um, intersectionality is a concept developed by black feminists that has to do with the fact that we experience our identities in combination. So Mm -hmm. I'm not just a woman. I'm not just a white woman. Like I have all these overlapping identities that affect um, how those other identities are interpreted. Um, And so for me to be fat as a woman means something differently than for me to be fat as a cisgender male. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's going to impact me differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and similarly, we see um, things like that in terms of um, people of color, social class. Um, yeah, all of those different identities. So I think um, for a long time, the weight stigma community or uh, fat liberation community was focused just on weight Mm-hmm. Um, to the like exclusion of other forms of oppression, not realizing how it's different to experience fatness um, as a Latino woman versus fatness as, um, you know, a, a cis white male. Mm-hmm. And so um, thinking about the fact that we can't just look at any one of our identities alone. Um, so, yeah, anyway... ASDA, for the last several years, has been working on becoming a more intersectional organization, which is a challenge to do. Mm-hmm. And um, we, yeah, I'm a part of our inclusivity committee. I, I say that I kind of question that term because um, <laughs> I have a friend who is like, you know, inclusivity makes it sound as if like we wanted 
you white folks here in the first place as if there was like mm. we invited you <laughs> and mm. you know, and you know so i think it's something really um critical for us to consider in terms of like whose voices are heard right. who yeah. gets to lead mm-hmm. um yeah whose voices are centered um, the the word inclusivity then suggests Oh, us white people are including you all in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, or that we even deserve a place at the table. Right. Not right. not not in a pejorative sure. sense, but um, there are some vo- places where perhaps we don't need to hear from another thin white woman. Perhaps, mm-hmm. you know. Um, now, I I am definitely a advocate for finding how can we ally ourselves with other groups, other marginalized groups, and what does that look like? But I, I think any time that we're thinking about allyship or coming alongside someone, we need to really be critical about, am I speaking when someone else could be speaking? And um, how do I, like, what does allyship look like here? And and am I truly being an ally or am I just, like, making myself feel better about something, right? Like, so I think kind mm-hmm. of a on the ally side we have to be really critical and self-reflective and open to learning um mm-hmm. when it comes to to trying to make changes that maybe we really feel are good and are all well-intentioned but mm-hmm. being able to critically reflect on that is important mm-hmm. critically reflect and step back a little bit too mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, yeah i'm glad you say that because i it's like one of the reasons i wanted you here like on this podcast because i just where I am, I feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to use the right words in conversations around all this mm-hmm. stuff. I like feel fearful mm-hmm. um, that I may not um, have the right way to ally like with mm-hmm. somebody. And so it, I, I'm trying to navigate that even in mm-hmm. my, the ways that I might have some roles in the health at every size community right now, professionally, I like still feel hesitant and mm-hmm. scared that I'm going to say something wrong or do something in this whole thing. So I think I just, that's like, I want Aaron to come and talk about all this stuff. <laughs> um, because it's like, I, we care so, I care so much and I want to keep growing and learning mm-hmm. and like be, um, yeah. So I, I feel humbled by it, mm-hmm. I guess, in that way, because I, I sit in a place of privilege as a thin white woman. So then I go, okay, well, okay, what do I do with this? Like, I don't want to overstep and yeah. use my power, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I don't want to. So I, I don't, I, I, I feel more hesitant lately in that way and like trying to navigate what to, what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So I just say that. I'm glad you brought that up. Because <laughs> I don't know. So there's a, there's a great list of like characteristics of white supremacy. Um, just going to throw out that word. Yeah, just <laughs> it's there. Okay, <laughs> so said it. Um, <laughs> but one of it's basically like how do we look at critically look at white culture mm-hmm. and some of the things that that are products of our white culture is like this, um, and and maybe particularly for white women too, like this. Like I don't want to say the wrong thing or be misinterpreted, and so then. I kind of step back mm-hmm. and then I I don't act. And so mm-hmm. I think the the willingness to step mm-hmm. into that discomfort like you mm-hmm. just did and say, hey, I'm mm-hmm. still going to do this messy mm-hmm. work and I might mess it up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that like perfection doesn't have to be the only option here. Because yeah. um, I think we can only do allyship imperfectly. And yeah. if we wait for to be perfectly prepared, mm-hmm. 
you know, we are going to be those folks on the sidelines that are silently complicit. And so um, I think having the courage to step in and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, even on this podcast, like yeah. I've used the terms like men and women and not mentioned non-binary sure. identities, you mm-hmm. know, and that's like. You're like, conscious of that. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm growing to be, you yes, know, and I, I have yeah. wonderful people in my life who remind me over and over and over women and femmes or, you know, um, here's how your language can be improved mm-hmm. or, you know, that was really kind of crappy mm-hmm. what you just said there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think part of this ally work is mm-hmm. being willing to yeah. to step in and being willing to be wrong and being mm-hmm. humble when somebody says, hey, here's how to do it mm-hmm. a little bit differently. So mm-hmm. I think just by those mm-hmm. acts of bravery and being willing to step mm-hmm. in with your privilege and mm-hmm. try and make some change that's mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do <laughs> we need to wrap up? No, we don't oh, need good. to wrap up. Oh, Carter just gave me a look. I'm like, <laughs> no. oh, I want to follow up with one thing. I do want to follow Carter. up on one yes. thing. I was, okay, um, I was just thinking about that and um, I did some studying under this um, scholar and writer named Kimberly George who does some amazing work on um, kind of how how to take a, I wish that she could articulate this. I probably won't do it justice, but she has an intersectional feminist lens into kind of um, the psychoanalytic. Mm. Man, I wish she were here. You got <laughs> to it, explain this better. I know you so can. So many big words. Anyways, I know you I'm can. Gonna, I'm going to just kind of state what I mean to say. Yes, do it. Um, <laughs> is that she, um, she brought up this idea to me of kind of the white supremacist attitude as really mirroring the narcissistic personality structure. Mm. And if we're engaging um, this this idea mm. around our own internalized whiteness, if you're a white mm-hmm. person, our own internalized, um, you know, fear of fatness, mm-hmm. fear, I mean, all of it, um, gender identity, et cetera, then you're also often, if you're in the position of privilege working from a place of narcissism Mm -hmm. in a world that's not necessarily challenged Mm -hmm. and so to be an ally or to be part of the conversation means that you're stepping down into a place of mutuality and humility and stepping back to know that your voice isn't the main one Mm -hmm. um, and a massive place of not knowing Mm -hmm. and feeling Mm -hmm. the kind of Mm -hmm. the bruising the psychic bruising of not knowing all of a sudden and needing to tolerate that Mm -hmm. um in order to step aside and not fall apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, I was just thinking about mm. that and not using Kimberly George's words correctly, but but okay. I think that it's a really interesting way to think about that. Yeah. And especially when, when as you were saying it, Julie, this desire to be able to step in and know what you're talking about. And you are aware mm-hmm. that you are in a place of position mm-hmm. um, and privilege to be a Hayes advocate and also mm-hmm. are fumbling through the yeah. words. I'm fumbling through the words too as I speak, but right. it's, right. yeah, the mm-hmm. desire Yeah, important. Yeah. I distinctly remember when we, Aaron and I did a presentation on campus here mm-hmm. at the University of Washington for the staff. Mm-hmm. And as we were preparing it and just sort of, sort of div- divvying up the slides and I felt like even we, like in our mm-hmm. relationship, we're sort of trying to navigate this of like, mm-hmm. okay. And do you remember this? Yeah. 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 And I don't, I, I think it may have even been 
I don't know when we were working on it and you were like, okay, well, I think you should take these slides because um, they might listen to you for these reasons. And then mm-hmm. I think I'll take these slides because they might <laughs> um, and like just trying to like figure out what would, yeah, I don't know, just trying to make sure the audience could take it. Like, mm-hmm. um, and you were like, there's some of these slides, I think they're going to take it easier from a dietitian mm-hmm. versus from me and the social worker. And then sort of our body sizes mm-hmm. we talked about, like, okay, I think they're going to take it from the thinner of us in mm-hmm. this, in this context, in this topic. And like, I mean, I don't know, that just felt like, oh, I was grateful for the way that we were able to, I don't know, just like name those things and mm-hmm. then like decide together, wait, we st- we care about the the content of this and getting mm-hmm. this out to some of the staff here that, that was more of like a wellness program for the UW employees. And it was like, ooh, I'm so excited about <laughs> this. And we felt so unified in that. And then we were trying to like together figure out how, <laughs> what was going to, how the audience was going to receive us yeah. and the ways, who we were and who they were going to interpret us to be mm-hmm. um, based on our credentials mm-hmm. and our body size and our skin color and our education level and like, oh, yeah, goodness, so many things. And I think that highlights so. like, yeah. why having multiple voices in this work is important mm-hmm. and um and i you know why mm-hmm. allyship and um then all those things can be like so crucial because there are things that mm-hmm. i can say as a fat woman where because of societal stigma i won't be believed yeah like you know it's and there are things that i can say and have you know say the exact same thing cite the exact same study, study. And I won't have that credibility. Mm-hmm. I will be seen as either trying to glorify obesity or trying to justify my own body. Mm-hmm. And so you um, handed me those slides. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I thought exactly. I remember that. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm the dietitian. Okay, if they'll hear it, I mean, okay. Yeah. But like, I'm up here with you. <laughs> no, gosh darn it. <laughs> She's the smarter one. Are you kidding me? Like, Erin's got way more to say about this. Don't, ah, she knows the study. I'm just what? I don't even know the study. Basically, like that's the contrast. Mm-hmm. That's how, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. feeling that. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to have way more time up there. I just was like, all those things. I, re- I remember feeling that. So. Mm-hmm. And there also, you know, sometimes yes, when yes. I want to step into that space and I'm willing to take it and other yeah. times when yeah. I don't yeah. feel like doing yeah. You said that that day, actually. I think I remember you saying that. Yeah. yeah. yeah I can have see to that. sort through all those different yes. waters just mm-hmm. to give a lecture. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's not, oh, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was um, just reflecting on last podcast, we were talking about body image a ton, just mm-hmm. kind of generally. Um, and I don't think that we got to as much depth, of course, around this topic of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were talking a little bit about kind of what it what it's like to go on a process mm-hmm. um, with yourself mm-hmm. around developing healthy body image. And what mm-hmm. is that? And what is body neutrality versus mm-hmm. body positivity, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. any sense or anything that you'd want to add to the conversation around on how to develop kind of body image in these terms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a big, mm-hmm. another big question. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, the whole concept of body positivity is a really mm-hmm. charged topic right now in fat communities because mm-hmm. – Body positivity can be a, a place where fat liberation can be kind of hijacked a little bit. And mm-hmm. we focus on okay. acceptance and positivity for like a certain slice of mm-hmm. the fat community. You mm-hmm. know, this kind of hourglass, mm-hmm. femme, fashion. Ashley Graham. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 This kind of, 
you know, that that's acceptable and that and and that the idea that having body positivity means I put all this time and money and resources into mm. presenting my body in a certain mm. way mm-hmm. or that I have a, a responsibility, a moral responsibility to making myself as palatable as possible as a fat woman, right? Mm-hmm. That if I can present in this certain way, like my fatness will be, you'll see that I care about myself really, that mm. I'm trying, I'm really working with what mm. I've got here. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. It's, and and I think we kind of run that risk of body positivity becoming something where, like, as long as I can, I still want to see myself as pretty, right? I still want to be beautiful, and that that's part of accepting my body is seeing how beautiful I really am. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's this other kind of pushback that, like, I don't owe you prettiness. Mm-hmm. I don't owe you a certain presentation. I don't owe you money that's spent on products or clothes Mm -hmm. you know I I think there's a lot to be said for um, fat equality in terms of like access to clothing and Mm. um, you know things that we consider like really basic human rights Um, Mm -hmm. and then on on the flip side that at least for for me in in my journey um, I'm really trying to get to a place where I can like sit in my body and be cool with it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so for, for me, it's not just about like, oh, I can like now appreciate this about the shape of my legs or I can appreciate my hair. Um, <laughs> like, you know, the kind of, kind of the go-to things that we talk about mm. in eating disorder treatment. Well, like, what can you like about yourself? Like, mm. you know, it, it, even that, like, it's parceling our body up into pieces, mm. yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and how often are we really talking about, like, like the bulge of my belly or, mm. like, the folds in my back? Like, how mm. often are we talking about those things that are, like, really pathologized in our mm-hmm. culture? Um, mm. It's all about, like, well, this thing most closely aligns with what society says is beautiful. So I guess I like that thing. Mm. Right. Um, <laughs> right. It's still, how are you most palatable? How exactly. are you most fitting into this idea of the male gaze upon mm-hmm. you at all times and et cetera? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just like those, like I think of steps and I'm thinking like, I don't know, like I'm wearing, I'm not wearing sleeves right now. Like that's a huge, for me, for like, this woman who had to like unveil my arms one day in like 120 degree treatment in Arizona because I was so <laughs> terrified of like how my arms looked mm. like to be like sleeveless here because I'm a little warm and this is mm-hmm. how I'm most comfortable. I mean, that's that's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. And like and my arms are like way bigger now mm-hmm. than they were when I was then. Like mm-hmm. I even have like this little like crease here by my. Mm. I'll call that a bicep like (laughs) right like to to, like be able Mm. to like be here Mm -hmm. and like like this kind of like I want to be able to accept this with as much Mm. like gentleness and like comfort that I can Mm -hmm. and then also look for those places where like I get to use my body as a tool for expression like you know my tattoos or my hair Mm -hmm. color or um you know, how I present my gender, you know, in terms of, like, my style, how I show up, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of steps towards 
comfort and safety and self-expression are all things that are important for me Mm -hmm. and things that are really hard to teach but I think Mm. you know exposure practice all those things Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I love that idea I'm just like my mind is popping in all these different directions around what it means to be embodied in a way that's not objectifying um, but also allows you to kind of claim personality and style and all these things that are so significant Mm -hmm. Mm. well (laughs) We can you're awesome. <laughs> I can't wait till like your first published stuff as a researcher. I know so what's, excited. what's it gonna be? I've got some stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> Come on. I can't wait. I can't mm. wait. Yeah. Um yeah. Just Not a lot, just like a little bit. Little bit, little bit. Little bit. <laughs> but the thing you're working on right now is the, I mean, if that got like that got published, that would be the thing you'd be most excited about, right? Um Yeah, I mean I'm I'm working on a study right now it's a mixed method study which so I'm hearing stories and I'm getting some numbers Um, (laughs) from higher weight women with restrictive eating Mm -hmm. disorders so really trying to understand the experience of how these women experience an eating disorder going through treatment and Mm -hmm. trying to navigate the remission process so definitely Mm -hmm. excited about that and then also yeah, another one that's really interesting is yeah. like we're looking at how we have a study that we're we're submitting. Okay. Um okay. that's on how eating disorder treatment centers advertise themselves. And so like awesome. looking at how do we promote a certain version of like mm. who who's the typical eating disorder patient? Mm. What does a typical recovery look like, mm. at least as it's promoted within these materials? And then um what role does kind of this like treatment machine play and kind of perpetuating mm. a certain mm. version of an eating disorder experience that is okay. very cool yeah. i'm excited about that yeah <laughs> yeah that's really fascinating yes you guys are in it no <laughs> On the spot. (laughs) I mean, I'm proud of what we've done, I think. So I don't feel too scared. No, it's it's exciting. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Erin. It's been really fun to talk with you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you to our listeners and a big thank you to Aaron Harrop for joining us today and engaging us in such a rich conversation around weight stigma. You can find links to her work in the description. Also earlier, I was really excited to mention the work of intersectional feminist feminist scholar and writer Kimberly George, and I quite clumsily described her work. Her work actually centers around relational psychoanalysis, embodied epistemologies, and structures of violence. You can find a link to some of her work as well and down in the description. To learn more about us, you can find us at www.opalfoodandbody.com or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for Sound Engineering and to Aaron Davidson for our music. Join us next week for another episode. <laughs>